All right, welcome into another episode of Negative War, Positive Vibes. CJ Nikowski and Ryan Spielborg with you. And we are recording here on a Wednesday morning right after the Texas Rangers have beaten the Baltimore Orioles, swept them, Spilly. Three games, I guess, now we can say is a sweep, not a dusting. Uh, 5-0 and for the Texas Rangers in the postseason after winning uh, the wild card against Tampa and now beating the Baltimore Orioles. They will wait to see who wins the series between the Minnesota Twins and the Houston Astros and where that one is headed because that will be the other team in the American League Championship Series. It really has been uh, quite a run here, Spilly, for the Rangers who looked nearly down and out uh, last day of the season. They uh, sneak in the day before, lose the division the last day of the Astros win it, so they don't get the break. It hasn't affected them at all, obviously, because they just immediately turned it around and started looking like the team from the beginning of the season uh, when they were dominating that American League West. Uh, but this is it, the Rangers moving on. What do you make of kind of you know the way that they did it, getting back on track, putting things behind them? And then I think we have to get into that discussion about kind of almost no days off and having some momentum here for the Texas Rangers. Yeah, so the, sometimes you get you kind of see things coming, right? Like you could see, oh, like they, they had a nice win here. Uh, you know, this guy got healthy. This guy's starting to swing the bat well. The Rangers' little run right now, you had no indicator, no indicator. They lost the last game of the season in Seattle. They had, they, they, they were shoved against by, by the Mariners. They had to win that game. They get the division, they get the bye. They go to Tampa Bay right after that with, you know, it, it felt like a sad team. So we had no indicators that the, that the team was about to go on this run. Couldn't see it. The last week of baseball, the last month of baseball for the Rangers, everything felt like it was, it was coming to a sad end. Somebody was going to leave uh, this season sad. It ended up being the Seattle Mariners. And so as we were watching everything kind of unfold, and then you realize once they got to Tampa Bay and that very first game against uh, Tyler Glass now, I saw the quality of the bats. You see them win that game and you're like, oh, okay, they look pretty good. You had a nice start. I think that was the start for uh, was it Jordan Montgomery had that first one, or was it Nathan Avaldi with that one? Montgomery had game one in Tampa, and then it was Avaldi uh, in game two. Yeah, so so in that one, it's like okay, Montgomery against Glass now. You know, Glass now didn't have great command, but but you could see the at bats from from Texas, and then Montgomery was just dealing. And we we were talking about this when it came to, you know, the the question mark around. The Rangers was how would they survive with a bullpen that was fractured, mm. that, that wasn't pitching well. We saw Roldis Chapman and Jose Leclerc, and uh, you saw the thing with with Hernandez down the stretch in Seattle. Like, oh man, like this this Rangers team is about to go to play Tampa Bay, and and they're not good. <laughs> like the offense is is MIA, and if you get to the bullpen, it's over. Well, you get a start from Montgomery. The offense scores enough. Uh, sloppy game from from Tampa Bay in that one, but it was like, oh, okay, the Rangers. There's a version of the Rangers that we hadn't seen in a while. This could be the first half Rangers team. Then you see the next game. That's when Navaldi shoved um, another like just a well played game. The offense came out and they just built Carter home run right. Evan Carter's been a good story there. He had a home run in that game. Garcia and then Josh Young going three for four with a couple of doubles and a triple. He had two doubles from Seager. Uh, in that one. And I, I wondered about this too. Like, you know, I, I remember what it's like, obviously, to put the uniform on. Uh, but thinking about when things are going really bad, kind of the way they were, you're talking about. And then, you know what? It's fresh. It's a new series. Or in this case, it's now the postseason. And you have that first one and you beat Tampa 4 nothing. 
pretty much all those feelings are gone, right? I mean, you don't let any of the negativity kind of creep back in because you're looking at what you just did. And what you did in that moment was beat Tyler Glass down. And it's like, okay, you know what? We're not that team we were last week. We're actually this team, and here we go. I mean, the, the idea that the players are so good at compartmentalizing things and just forgetting things and putting it behind them, to me, seemed critical here for the Rangers, right? They reset the tone in game one, and now it's been five straight since. Yeah, so that's exactly right. And in your, I mean, you and I, we've been in enough clubhouses to know um, – like if you win a certain amount of games over the course of the year, you're a good team. Like like Baltimore won over a hundred, Tampa Bay won close to a hundred, Texas had an amazing season. You know you're capable of of winning baseball games, and sometimes you know you just need whether it's pressure, a long road trip, or just kind of going. You know what? Let's like we got this. Let's let's like key in on the small details, one pitch at a time. One batter at a time, swing at strikes, throw strikes, hit the cutoff man, boring baseball by the, by that sense, and boom, it can connect. And and what's been remarkable about this is Texas went and took out the Rays, and they took out Baltimore. Uh, and the American League East, as I'm looking at it now, mm. after these big seasons, right? Like, we, they, those are some monster years for for both organizations, they got they got shut out. They got swept. You know the the American League East got got boat raced. Um, and 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 again, it goes to show you just how good. First off, the Rangers were over the course of the year. It goes to show you how tough the American League West is. I mean, that's that's the that's a place where six straight American League championships have had to go through. Um, it makes me rethink how strong the American League East right now actually is. Unless you're saying. Well, listen, Spilly, the, the Tampa Bay Rays were a shell of what they were. Yeah. Got it. Uh, and Baltimore, you know, they couldn't get things going because Texas outplayed them. Okay, fine. Yeah. I'm fine. I'm fine with any of those. Oh, and seven, Spilly, as you mentioned, for AL East teams. The first time, according to the Athletic, who I guess got it from ESPN, either way, since 1990, that an American League East team failed to win a single playoff game. 1990, Spilly. That is 34 seasons ago. Now, we didn't have, obviously, a postseason in 94, so I guess uh, we'll call it 33 uh, seasons ago um, that it happened. They last got shut out. And while yeah, I'm with you, it's still a good division, and it's a problem, I think, for everybody. Uh, it is kind of interesting to see their legitimate struggles here in the postseason. So the Rangers moving on. Nate Evaldi, uh, incredible. Kind of a, a, interesting to see with him. Comes off the I.L. We've talked about it a bunch. Uh, doesn't rehab. They decide to do rehab in the big leagues. He said last night, that was really tough. I couldn't get it going, not having the rehab uh, assignment. Because, you know, even though there's no adrenaline in rehab assignments, there's also something about just feeling your way out. Well, they decided not to do that because they were scuffling and they needed to get back on track. And so we'll take your 35 pitches the best you have. And it just didn't work out well at all. Boom, postseason comes. It's like he flipped a light switch. He's had a couple of mechanical changes. All of a sudden, he's spotting up his fastball. He's getting ahead. I tweeted this out uh, during the game. Second highest strike percentage in a postseason game. Uh, since two, the second highest since 2000, that's over 1100 games, 1100 postseason games in which a starter has gone at least five innings. He gave you the second highest strike percentage, 15 punch outs and no walks so far in two uh, postseason starts for him, 13 and two thirds innings. It's it, what's amazing about it is where he was. And you're like, oh, oh, no, it's not the same guy. He's battling through and doing the best he can. But this is not the native Aldi that was on the American League Cy Young Award track. 
and a little mechanical adjustment and a guy who's got a good postseason track record, maybe that little bit extra adrenaline, and boom, off he goes. That has been huge because there's no Max Scherzer. There may be in the American League Championship Series. We'll see. There's no John Gray. There's no Jacob deGrom. Right? They're sitting there essentially going with two starters, and then it's like a mix of Andrew Heaney and Dane Dunning like they did against the Orioles. I get a little bit concerned about now a best-of-seven series and what that looks like for the Rangers going forward uh, and how they're going to mix and match. It's going to take a full pitching staff effort uh, to outlast either the Twins or the Astros. But Evaldi in particular, when people start asking, like, hey, what's been the one key? There hasn't been one. But without him and Jordan Montgomery and what they're doing here so far in the postseason, they got no chance. No chance. That's right. Yes. And, like, again, when I start looking around other other teams and excuses for teams – you know, the, the Rangers just played well. They they pitched well. They played good defense. They hit. They took their walks. They just played well. Uh, and, and, like, in the case of Tampa Bay, they played sloppy. They, they didn't pitch as well as they, they had been all year. Uh, it's not like Tyler Glasnow wasn't capable of pitching as well as Jordan Montgomery. Uh, so it's like, in the case of, of Toronto, Toronto going to Minnesota, okay, they didn't have the home field advantage. It's still, at the end of it, they didn't score. You know, like Toronto didn't score a run and they were outpitched by Minnesota. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a, and then again, like thinking about the Baltimore Orioles, the Texas Rangers outperformed them. They played well at like the, the first game for Baltimore, really close. A couple of miscues late. They weren't able mm. to punch through against the bullpen late uh, game two boat race. I mean, that, that happens. Texas outperformed their competition. And a lot of it had to your point had to do with the starters kind of getting them back on track in Tampa Bay. And then the offense just taking a step back and doing what they were capable of doing, which was staying in the strike. So that was the one thing that you heard constantly about, about from Baltimore standpoint about Texas, they stayed in the strike zone. They were in the strike zone. Corey Seager walked five times in a game. There was, there was multiple times where they had, Innings getting started because of walks, uh, and then going back to to your point about this kid and 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 Evan, Evan Carter, Carter. Yeah, I mean he had a what a thirty three percent walk rate in the postseason. So again, it just goes to show you. I think it started with starting pitching. It transitioned to the defense. It took some weight off the offense. The offense started getting back to what they did well, which is staying in the strike zone and swinging at strikes. And then they had a lineup that was long enough to just kind of wear you out. Um, so there, there's, there's no short changing what the Texas Rangers have done. We didn't see it coming. This was a team that was capable of doing it. And then once they put it together, it's like, okay, here we go. Now, ding, ding. I'm waiting for Houston Astros to win Minnesota so we can go battle <laughs> Texas. Cause that to me is really tasty. Yeah, it will be for sure. There's a rivalry there, but we'll see if the Minnesota Twins can make this a series potentially um, with a win tonight. Let's talk about the Orioles real quick and kind of looking forward here. When it comes to free agents, Kyle Gibson, Adam Frazier, uh, Fujinama is a free agent, Aaron Hicks. Uh, these are all guys that they may not bring back. I mean, Gibson would be, I think, probably the one piece maybe. I know they have a lot of good young pitching, uh, but to have some kind of veteran starter. Uh, I think with Adam Frazier, they have the pieces that they need to kind of replace his production as we see more and more of these young players uh, make their way up. Jack Flaherty as well, uh, who did not perform the way that they had hoped after acquiring him from St. Louis, will also be a free agent. But the payroll is ridiculously low, right? And I say that. I mean, the free agents that I'm talking about, $10 million for Gibson, $8 million for Frazier, and you know the part of the $5.4 million that they had 
with Jack Flaherty. That's $66 million payroll as it stands right now, uh, which sounds so ridiculously absurd to say, um, will go down, or at least technically uh, going down right now. When we look at the Orioles, and they were an exciting team, and you love the idea that they've developed uh, the way that they have, uh, how are we feeling about maybe what they need to do? You want to hear a ridiculous number, Spilly? According to Roster Resource, oh, the 2024 commitments in salary for the Orioles is seven yep. million dollars. How is that possible? Either arbitration, way, pre-arbitration, Chris Young, uh, Chris Davis not being on the salary anymore. Um, that's crazy. Seven million dollars, not counting the arbitration eligible guys. Where do they go from here? Uh, I think they go up. I mean, there's, there's, there's nowhere to go, but, but to yeah. keep you move forward. I, I think there's how, I guess maybe is the better. Like, what do you think they do here? Um, where, where's the moves? Where's the investments? Again, young, exciting team. They did not show up in the postseason. You get that experience. That's great. We expect them to be back. What do they have to do to make that happen? Uh, I think, I think there's some trades to be made. Uh, I, I'd have to look at the free agents. I mean, I, I'm fine if you're, if you're signing some of these players, like I, I could see, you know, like moving on from Adam Frazier. Cause you have so many young infielders. Uh, you're, you're, you're probably trying to figure out a way to, to offer a couple more years in, in the contract to Anthony Santander. Uh, you're probably looking at, at trying to figure out some sort of contract with Adley Rutschman. If he wants one, even though he's all pre arb you, you're trying to, yeah. Follow the blueprint of the Atlanta Braves. Gunnar Henderson is probably another one. Maybe there's a pre, uh, a, a a pre major league debut contract with Jackson Holiday. Mm. So you start you Man. start you start creating that that long term core. Yeah, understanding what you have. You also have too many players in your organization, right? Like a Joey Ortiz. Yeah, you, you have uh, a Kerstad that that possibly is your DH in the future or you can use him as a piece to maybe get another arm. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, my guess is I probably would shy away from, from like totally using free agency, especially since they built this young core. I'd probably use that as if I'm going to, you know, and, and, and you and I, we've talked about this. If I'm a player, I rather go through arbitration to make the most amount of money. If I'm a front office, I'm offering below market or at least, Deals that give me security of these players and control for, for several years. Um, so that's why like the Atlanta Braves are what they are is because they got Albies below market and Acuna below market and Austin Riley below market, and Matt Olson ultimately below market. And so you have these, you have these really nice position players that don't cost you as much as it should which keeps you relevant for longer. So I, I think if I'm Mike Elias, if I'm that front office, um, I'm starting with with locking up some of my young players first. The ones that I think are expendable, I'm looking to trade to get some controllable arms. And then at the very end of, of the players that I can't trade for controllable pieces is when I go to the free agent market. But nothing nothing outlandish, nothing outrageous. I'm two to three year deal type players on on pieces that you need maybe a, another arm in the bullpen, all these different things. So there, there's yeah. a lot to do uh, to put them in a really good position to succeed. Yeah, the bullpen's an interesting one because that ended up being a problem once Batista was down, Cano was struggling and trying to figure out, we kind of hashed it out a little bit on loud outs yesterday, where are you going to go in the biggest spots? They had gotten thin all of a sudden the bullpen and really lacked the swinging miss, swing and miss that you need uh, in the postseason. Brandon Hyde, I think they got to get him done as well. He did some really nice work. He has seen this entire thing through 
And what's rewarding about that is that he was there when it was brutal. He was there last year when they traded really important pieces away. They still fought. They still scratch and clawed. He led this young group uh, to take over that division from the Rays and sometime in the middle of the season. They held on. The Rays kept coming. Uh, you don't see it too often. You don't see it too often where a manager has you when there's no resources poured into your team. There's no expectations. You're there essentially to coach as opposed to manage. And now he's there uh, while they're winning, and he deserves to be there. He did a great job. So hopefully they take care of him uh, as well. Um, but it's interesting because what happened last deadline, you and I were kind of beating on the Orioles for not making a big move. And we were trying to put the pressure on. you got to do something big. you got to do something big. I think big. it cost him. And they resisted to some degree. Now, Jack Flaherty didn't work out. And I just wonder if you're Mike Elias, and I, I do think he's very calculated and he's done great, um, how much that weighs on you, or do you still, like so many of these front offices now, they don't seem to waver, right? They stick to the plan and that's it, right? Just like the Toronto Blue Jays situation with Barrios, and there's a plan in place, whether it's in-game or whether it's what we're doing in the offseason, where I look at the Texas Rangers and Chris Young and saying, you know what, we got to change a little bit. We got to make a move. You know, they were so aggressive in the offseason, and yet they were ultra aggressive at the deadline, right? Bringing in uh, Max Scherzer, bringing in Jordan Montgomery, moving on from some pretty good pieces. Now, that system is still in a pretty good place, but they were not afraid to go ahead and spin and make the big move. That was the criticism of Bloom in Boston. Are you afraid to make the big move? Well, they ended up not going to the postseason and let him go. And now we're hearing some rumblings after the fact about some deals that could have been done that he said no to. And some of it, you know, never know exactly what's true and what's not. But I'm sure some of it, no doubt, is there. And that's why they made the decision. And so now in the case of Michael Elias, who's got this ridiculously low payroll, but won a division, a tough division. And, you know, they get bounced first, uh, swept, really, in the first series in the postseason. Will he, as we've talked about in the past for certain front office executives, be able to come out of that show a little bit and go to ownership and say, listen, that was great. This was good. We want a title. In order to get a title, we got to go over the top a little bit. We got to make some uncomfortable moves. Yes. Uh, and, and again, like it's funny when you really think about some of these executives and like in the case of, of Mike Elias, like he helped build the Astros. He certainly helped build this farm system with Baltimore. There's no, second guessing that that you cannot discredit what he's been able to accomplish but then you you're also wondering do you have the ability to go yeah like like find yourself in between like a dave dombrowski and an andrew friedman and you know like somewhere where like you don't want to go all new york mets or new york yankees uh, and to be honest, the Yankees haven't really done as much as we thought in like the last couple of years if you're really being honest with the yankees mm-hmm. But but how can you be shrewd? How can you be aggressive? How can you do moves that that you know meet your short term needs, as long as your long term goals, and then make this team better? I think ultimately uh, going back and and I still continue to kind of pound both Baltimore and Cincinnati, CJ, just because mm-hmm. those are the two semi passive teams with organizations that had organizational depth. And I thought you could acquire some players that could have met their immediate needs without, you know, trading Jackson Holiday or, you know, like uh, any one of your top prospects in the, like a uh, like in Christian Encarnacion Strand. Like you didn't have to do that. Mm-hmm. So you know, like I saw Paul Blackburn as a possible option, even if you did do Jack Flaherty and a Paul Blackburn, that gave you extra organizational depth from from the Baltimore Orioles standpoint. They probably needed an extra arm. Uh, I love Scott Barlow. I thought that was, uh, you know, even the cost that I saw 
when when Scott Barlow was acquired was not something that was going to kill the Baltimore Orioles in any way. So I just think going back to Mike Elias, like he he has this aspect of his GM skills down solid. I don't think he has this aspect of his GM skills down pat. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's, it's a different area. And we've seen it with some uh, executives, that, especially when they're coming out of places where you're not spending that money. How do you change your uh, habits? Andrew Friedman is probably the greatest example of someone who has done it successfully uh, with the Dodgers, although they're in a little bit of trouble uh, right now. But we'll wait till uh, that series wraps up before we really kind of dive into it. But uh, that whole idea of making some very uncomfortable moves. You mentioned Dave Dombrowski, Theo Epstein. They've won, but they've left messes behind in the process. Uh, there's no easy way. that we You and I talked about what happened in Seattle and how Jerry DePoto tried to frame the idea for his fans, what they're trying to accomplish, you know, this 540 winning percentage. And so that we can be at least, you know, pretty good for 10 years, as opposed to we don't want to get over aggressive and make a move that disrupts that. Well, would you rather be the Florida Marlins when they went on that run where when they were the Florida Marlins and winning in 97 and winning in 03, but it was garbage in between and after? Yes, for Marlins fans, that's a yes, because they want the ring. There's no guarantees you're going to win it, um, and it's not as fun to go through it. But uh, I get it from a business standpoint and quite honestly from a job preservation standpoint. Keep your team pretty good uh, for a period of time where there's not too many lows, uh, but there may not be the big-time highs. Um, I could see why you might do that, but I don't think fans necessarily want to hear it. Um, how about this one as we wrap up here? The playoff format has come into play. My bigger complaint about it, and I've, I know I said it enough and I've beaten this horse to death, but has been the way the seeding works and the idea that the Minnesota Twins with the seventh best record in the American League got home field advantage. If they end up beating the Houston Astros, they get home field advantage in the ALCS. That's crazy to me. That That is to me, and I get it, it's not going to, it's a one off, it's not going to happen very often. But at some point, you got to say, wait, why are they getting a home field advantage? You know, Blue Jays were in that spot. They had more wins. They were the better team. They had to play on the road because the Minnesota Twins won a division. The other part of it is the time off. And we're seeing it now for your uh, top two division winners in each league. The Baltimore Orioles had the best record. Uh, they are gone. Uh, we're watching it now as things start to play out here a little bit in the postseason with the Dodgers as they're down 0-2 and having the time off. It does not seem to have affected we don't think necessarily maybe the Astros, the Braves, they're both tied 1-1. Uh, the Braves had to come back in dramatic fashion uh, to get it done. Uh, where are you right now as far as what's happening here uh, with playoff format, the way things are kind of starting to play out, whether it's the time off, the seeding situation? we still got a little bit of a ways to go here, but I do think that there's some legitimate adjustments. Assuming we stay at 30 teams, assuming we stay at uh, the amount of teams that are actually going to the postseason for now, uh, the way it's playing out, where are you on uh, how it's been so far this year? Okay, so somebody that uh, I, you know, like I, I talked about this with you on loud outs earlier in the week. Uh, I experienced the longest layoff in in postseason history. I was on the team. It was the Colorado Rockies had the longest layoff in postseason history. Fact, it was us, and then it was the Detroit Tigers. Um, ours was eight days, and and so. I understand the the idea of rust. We're not accustomed to three days off in the, in the regular season. Guys have rust when they come back from all-star break. So a five-day break, you know, it, it really gives an advantage to the team that continues to play. Uh, I, I I call BS on that because going back and, and rethinking, if I was if our team was to take on the Red Sox in 2007 in the middle of our run, I think the Red Sox eventually beat us. I, I do. I think they win. 
Um, the Red Sox were, as you know, when it's all said and done, going back, checking out roster resource and all that stuff, that's that's a multi-billion dollar team worth of of players. Our, our Rockies team was not multi-billion dollars worth of, of players because of overall salaries of these guys. So I don't think the Rockies could have beat the Red Sox if the game, if we didn't have the, the, the days off. So I don't buy rust. I think it, it's certainly, it, you know, it's hard to jump into something, but that's, I mean, we got beat. We, yeah. we legitimately got beat. The Diamondbacks have legitimately beaten the Dodgers. The Baltimore Orioles were beaten by the Texas Rangers. Uh, Philadelphia was taking it to Atlanta. I mean, they, these these are like you're still playing these games out now. If you think that the the timing of the of position players are off, okay, I can make that argument for how long. I mean, how long do you want to say that you know your timing is off as a hitter? Yeah. Five days off. What about guys that don't play? Like I was a bench player, so yeah. I don't want to hear that. You I see Todd I Green's tweet yesterday. So Todd, Todd Green, who's a, he's a backup catcher, right? And he said all these complaining about having five days off. Now you know exactly what it's like to be a backup. And Mitch Garver, Mitch Garver did not play in this postseason until the last couple of games. Yeah, and he's come up huge, right? He the last day of the regular season, but then they had team day off, didn't play uh, in that division series, uh, days off, and then uh, shows up. So he had probably six or seven days off in between game at bats, and he hit that grand slam and has been great for them offensively. So I think you make a really fair point, and you've lived it. I lived it. That's what I'm saying. So I don't, I don't want to hear that garbage. I was a bench player. I went through that experience. I don't think it makes sense. If, if we were to fix this playoff format, I have a couple suggestions. One is go back to 154 games. Give us this divisional series as a seven game series. Um, I'm not opposed to a seven game series after the wild card round. Uh, that way it really forces teams to use their starting rotation. Um, and then you know, like now we're talking about the postseason starting a little bit earlier, probably mm. starting at the beginning of September versus uh, early October, the sixth or the seventh. Uh, that way, you're not playing postseason baseball until um, mid-November. So I'm fine with the seven-game divisional series. That way, it gives the bye to the the division winner or the teams with the best record, and then they have enough. Because a five-game series really kind of puts you at odds. No matter who it is, someone's going to finish their season early. Mm. Um, so seven-game series, I'm fine with that. So you're adding two more games, hopefully. Uh, and then I am 100% on board with reseeding. 100% on board with the, the seeding. After you get into the postseason, um, I don't think there should be an additional benefit of winning a division if your record is 10 games below what some of these wild-card teams were. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm with you uh, on some of this. And listen, the postseason is great, but the idea whether it's reseeding is coming up, you know, the time off excuses, the Rangers are going to get four days off right now, right? So they're going to go through that where they hadn't had that because they wrapped up their series in three. Now they don't start until Sunday. I have a feeling they'll figure it out and probably looking forward um, to having a little bit um, of that time. So we will uh, we will certainly see. There's a lot to discuss there. It's going to play out. We all kind of have our opinions, but what we have right now is still pretty good. And it's been a good postseason. They are excited in Arlington. It does feel like it's kind of a, a new generation for them. Uh, they had come into yesterday's game in the final game of that division series that they beat the Orioles with the worst home record in the postseason uh, since they had moved to Arlington. Worst in baseball, uh, just a 360 winning percentage. They're one and zero now uh, in their new ballpark. Uh, which, by the way, Corey Seager seems to really enjoy hitting in in the postseason. Remember when he was with the Dodgers, he won that uh, MVP both in the NLCS and in the World Series. His first at-bat in a home game 
uh, in uh, in that game yesterday was uh, was a home run in the postseason. So kind of incredible to see from uh, Corey Seager. All right, that'll do it for us here. Uh, negative war, positive vibes. We always appreciate you guys listening. Make sure you check out Loud Outs on MLB Network Radio most days. That is 2 to 5 Eastern time on Sirius XM channel 89 and of course the podcast will continue to wrap things up and trying to get something fun to do uh, with our entire group live we get a little closer to uh, the championship series we're going to get something figured out with spilly and i and getting chris jimenez in there and certainly we'll see about bradley's i don't know if bradley's like to do any free work but we'll see if we can get brad there but certainly kevin france and jensen lewis we have a really good time uh in our loud outs chat uh, which is certainly not for public. We'll try to get that uh, some version of that, a little more family-friendly version uh, out to the public during the postseason. I think that would be a lot of fun. All right, have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening, as always.